take a Bible now and to open it to the book of Psalms, where we'll be here on the sixth Sunday of the year reading uh, Psalm 6. It is a a brief psalm, um, but it plumbs the depths of the human heart and also the experiences of pain that we have in this world. And there are times when you read a portion of scripture and you feel like it it matches what you're already feeling or sort of the circumstances of what you're uh, already going through in a given week. And then there's other times where there's a bit of a disconnect between your own experience and what it is that you're reading about. But our commitment to go through the Psalms uh, consecutively and uh, to go through Scripture regularly is to recognize that everything that God has put in Scripture is for our good. And so for me, uh, this week was mostly filled with good things that uh, I had opportunities to reflect on and be thankful for. But the primary scripture that I was meditating upon was one expressing a lot of heartache and pain. And it was good for me in a otherwise good season to be looking back and saying, but remember, uh, there have been many valleys that you have walked through. Uh, And so even though I wouldn't say I feel like I'm walking through a valley right now, it was good for me to, with the psalmist, walk through a valley again. Uh, But I recognize some of you might actually, as we read this, uh, be in a different place than I am. And as you're reading it, say, this is actually very much what I'm feeling. Um, This is Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord. For my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver me. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. And that concludes uh, our reading for this morning. There is, as I said in this very brief psalm, um, a, a revealing of just the depths of our own hearts as we go through uh, different challenges that this life brings to us. But what we have in this Psalm, uh, the theme of grief and lament uh, comes again and again throughout the Psalms. Um, But I think one of the things that's evident uh, here in this uh, Psalm is that the psalmist is grieving, but grieving with hope. And in that, I'm borrowing a phrase from the New Testament where the Apostle Paul says that we are to grieve, but we're not supposed to grieve as those who do not have hope, but 
He's acknowledging, even as believers in God, uh, we still have reasons to grieve. That God does not take away every experience of pain in our lives, every hardship uh, from us that is just a part of being born into this world. And so there is a, a profound maturity, I submit to you, in this psalmist who's acknowledging uh, that there is plenty to grieve over. And yet the entire time there is, as he is grieving out loud, uh, the different ways in which he's just hurting from different experiences that aren't even uh, explained to us. We don't know the exact circumstances that bring about this level of, of grief and pain uh, in his life, but we can just tell this is deep, this is profound, and he is grieving, but he's grieving with hope. And we see that because just even in the few verses, as he continues to sort of plumb the depths of the different ways in which he is grieving. He's also along the way consistently repeating the phrase, O Lord, reminding himself of the name of God that brings to mind the covenant that God has made with his people. And so the psalmist recognizes he doesn't have to choose between being a person of faith and somebody who's struggling. <laughs> being a person who believes that God is there and that God is real and also acknowledging that life is really hard sometimes. And there are things that don't make sense to us. And so there's a maturity in the part of the psalmist to be able to do both of those things at the same time. To really truly grieve and also to hold on to and acknowledge and believe that God is who he said he is and that God will do what he said he will do. This maturity is also seen in the fact that the psalmist acknowledges in the very first verse that he himself is not even asking God to remove all hardship or to remove all rebuke or discipline. And so the, the opening prayer is not, oh Lord, never rebuke me or oh Lord, never discipline me. The, the way it's constructed in the original is to make clear that the emphasis is on the, the second half of both phrases. So Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger and discipline me not in your wrath. And so this is a mature believer who recognizes that for all of us, there's appropriate rebuke and there's appropriate discipline that is a part of how all of us mature and grow. And so this isn't a superficial prayer saying, you know, I just want to never experiencing anything hard or difficult. There's even within the prayer, an acknowledgement of the goodness at times for all of us to be rebuked and corrected and to be disciplined. But the psalmist in acknowledging that is also acknowledging his own limitations. To say, even in the goodness of rebuke and the goodness of discipline, he's asking God to limit the extent of it to put boundaries around it, parameters that keep it from becoming overwhelming, that keep it from becoming too much. And there's this willingness on his part to acknowledge the good that God has for us at times in our rebuking, in our disciplining, but to be authentic and real and say, 
but all of us can only ever handle so much. And as the psalm goes on, he describes the way in which this, uh, whatever he's going through is affecting him physically. He says his bones are troubled. And then right after that, he says his soul is troubled. And then when he says and asks God to deliver him, and then verse five to say that for death, in death there is no remembrance of you, he's saying he's, he's tired enough in both body and soul that he is so weak to the point of death. That's how deep the valley is that this psalmist is in. And what is the appropriate response when you're feeling like that or you're going through that? Grieving is one of the appropriate responses. There are things that should make us sad that as God has created us uh, to feel different things. Sometimes we feel joy, but sometimes we feel pain. And there's a purposefulness to the pain at times that we experience it. I remember uh, one time uh, interacting with a, a young child who clearly knew that uh, somebody in their life often had headaches, and that meant that that person was in pain. But uh, he didn't limit it uh, to simply uh, the experience of headaches. He just knew that must mean you're in pain. So one time he was hurting, and he said, oh, I'm really, really hurting. And I went up to him, and I said, oh, you are? Where are you hurting? And he said, I have a headache in my elbow. <laughs> and I said, okay. So you've heard somebody express pain that way, and you don't have um, all of the facts right of where it is. Okay, but you're hurting right here. Uh, okay, what happened, and how can uh, we assess what happened to you? But all of us have at different times um, sensors, even physiologically within us, that say, hey, something's not right. Pay attention to this. Uh, don't, don't keep on doing this if you can... Uh, feel the pain and back off of whatever it is that might be triggering it. And so when we're going through a valley that has made us tired and weary, grief is an appropriate response to whatever it is that's bringing that about in our lives. It would be an immaturity on our part to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, never, I'm never down. I'm never hurting. Uh, it, it's an immaturity to minimize the reality of trials and temptations that face us that can cause each and every one of us to grieve. And so this psalmist is publicly grieving with hope to say to each and every one of us as the psalm actually begins to, hey, it's okay to also pick up a guitar too and sing the blues with me. <laughs> it's okay for, for you to say that you might be hurting just like I am. And there's nothing that we believe about God and who he is and his covenant love and faithfulness to us that should prevent us from still being open and honest and acknowledging the hurt when it comes. And because the psalmist is able to grieve in hope, he's able uh, to turn his attention and face the darkness. And so we see this psalm is grieving with hope, and in that, there's facing the dark that he is experiencing. Uh, the psalmist is not, uh, it, it, I think it'd be inappropriate for us to imagine he's sort of a journal at the end of the night at a really uh, bad day, you know, where what we're reading now is just sort of the raw emotion of the experience uh, that the psalmist is going through. I'm like, oh, wow, 
we're reading the psalmist on a really bad day. No, most of the psalms reveal an artistry to them and a crafting of them, an intentionality of word order and word choice that show, uh, though they might be expressing different experiences, at some point, there's also been reflection upon it. And so though the psalmist has hope that God is who he said he is and he's true to what he said, he's clear-eyed in facing and acknowledging the different types of hurt that he's experiencing. And recognizing that the way God has made him, like he's made each and every one of us, is that our minds and our bodies and our souls are all interconnected. And so if we're suffering significantly physically, it's going to affect us emotionally and spiritually. If our hearts are broken emotionally over something we're going through, it's going to manifest itself in physical ways. And it's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay to face that. It's okay in trusting that God knows how he made us and knows how things work for us, that we don't have to pretend that everything is okay. And when we stop pretending and start realizing things aren't okay, that we can also try to pay attention to the different ways that might be coming out in our life. Because surely it's coming out in a multitude of ways. And so if I were just to ask any of you in seeing you this morning, you know, how did you sleep last night? If you were to say, oh, terrible. I like barely slept at all last night. Okay. And it's totally reasonable to assume you're probably not in the best mood this morning. That a terrible night of sleep is going to affect you. If if I were to discover that you've had a significant loss in your life recently and were to say, so how are you doing? You might say, well, I'm feeling okay today, but okay today is still in light of the fact that I'm grieving um, the loss of something significant or changes that have taken place. Uh, I noticed about myself, our our whole family in October um, got sick with COVID and I got it the worst, thankfully, of everybody. For everybody else, it was almost a, a, a very uh, mild cold. I was the one that got knocked out. Then when I started feeling better, I was so glad to have energy again. But what persisted longer for me was just a grumpiness. And I wasn't even aware of it for a few days, except that eventually I realized, like, man, my first thought about almost everything right now is really negative. And I'm not usually like that. Uh, I think I'm a realist, and so I know that things can be challenging, but I, I am actually realizing that whether it's home, work, church, anything, like I, it seems like I'm being a lot more pessimistic now. And so then when I asked uh, Amy and the kids, I said, hey guys, I, I think I'm, I'm being like extra grumpy. Uh, the, the sense of freedom it was for all of them to be like, oh, really? Like, you notice it too. Like, it's, it's not just us that are picking up on the fact that it just, you seem a little off. And to say, yeah, and so one, I just want to like say it out loud, one, so you can hold me accountable to it, and also to say, I have no idea how long I'm going to feel like this. There is a sense in which it's impossible to control our thoughts and things pop into our minds um, at different points in time. 
But whenever we're going through something, whether it's physical exhaustion, emotional hardship, uh, just the sheer energy that can be drained from us in new experiences and things changing from one season to another. If you're starting a new job or starting a new school uh, season, just that initial amount of mental effort that it takes to learn new vocabulary and to, to remember people's names if you're in a new environment, even if those are good things, they have a way of draining you. And so we see that even uh, throughout scripture of, at multiple times where people uh, are suffering, whether it's because of sin and rebellion, but at times just because it's exhaustion, and at other times it's because they're going through something that's really physically hard. But the scriptures encourage us not to minimize that and not to ignore that, but to face it, to acknowledge it. And so this short psalm, uh, we actually have a whole book in the Bible that's a much longer version of somebody going through a valley in Job where Job faces the darkness of what he experienced in his life. And we see recorded him wrestling in his mind and body and soul over the challenges that he went through. And for scripture to preserve that record for us is to say to each and every one of us, it's okay to face that and acknowledge it. The scriptures tell us about Hannah going to worship, weeping, grieving. It tells us about Naomi going through the valley so significantly that she changes her name so that even as she returns back to Bethlehem, no longer with a husband, no longer with two sons, grieving, that everybody would know that she's in a really, really rough spot. She's not just having a bad day. It seems like nothing is going right. Scripture records David grieving over the loss of a newborn child. Here David is grieving out loud, though we don't know the specific circumstances, what he's wrestling with. But in all of these different examples is the, uh, an encouragement to you and to me to say it is possible to grieve with hope and because we trust that God is God, he can also handle us being human and asking the very real questions that are in our heart. And we're not going to offend him by grieving out loud by allowing uh, ourselves to take a full account of the wickedness and the hurt that is in front of us. At sometimes we think it's good advice to just sort of um, ignore or suppress those thoughts and feelings at times. Uh, sometimes the context uh, might allow for that where again, you know, we come before people even in a public gathering like this and even if you've had a, a really hard week and you're not doing really well right now, most of us in a short conversation, if somebody says, how are you doing? We'll say, fine. Most of us who said that today, we're lying. More often than not, we're not fine. We just don't know in, in a brief interaction how much we can say <laughs> or how much you're ready to hear. 
And we obviously don't want to exaggerate it, so scripture doesn't encourage us to minimize it. It also doesn't encourage us to exaggerate it. That is uh, not a sign of maturity as well. Uh, That was one of the frustrating things uh, for our family as we enjoyed watching the World Cup together. Uh, my, My kids pretty quickly picked up on the fact that a lot of soccer players exaggerate being fouled. Uh, and they dive and pretend to be hurt uh, when nobody has, in fact, uh, touched them at all. Uh, I even saw a tweet by the church curmudgeon, who's one of my comic outlets. Uh, he said, I always wanted to play soccer, but I could never afford the, practical acting, or the professional acting classes. Uh, and I say that as somebody who loves soccer. That's my favorite sport, so I'm not making fun of other people. Uh, I love it. And we do see a... Don't, don't make things worse than they are. Don't exaggerate pain or hurt. Uh, that's not a, a sign of maturity, but it's also not a sign of maturity to ignore pain and hurt, uh, to refuse to talk about it. But, but this is something, if we're open, we all struggle with, because even when we think of other people in our lives who are going through a valley, that's sometimes one of the biggest challenges for us is to say, are we allowed to bring that up? Like, what do you, is it appropriate to refer to somebody who's gone when they're gone, or do you feel like you're being mean because you're bringing up the fact that somebody's no longer here? Or when you know that somebody's going through a trial that's prolonged, and you know there's not a simple solution, it's again a, um, is it okay to ask about it? <laughs> How do you ask about it? Um, And in our uncertainty of that, plenty of times, can often lead to just not bringing it up, not mentioning their name. And I hope you would receive from Scripture primarily an invitation to say, it is okay to face the dark. It is okay to name the hurt. It is okay to then think about the different ways you're hurting. It's okay at times when you're hurting one thing and what you're surprised with is, is that it opens up into this window into other ways you've hurt like that. And so, and grief has a way of doing that, <laughs> uh, that it reminds you of other things you've grieved at previous uh, times to just acknowledge that. I invite you to take a Bible and to turn to Isaiah 53. If this wasn't okay to do, uh, this would never then be predicted about or written about our Lord himself. This is Isaiah 53. In verse 3, Isaiah is prophesying about a suffering servant. And he says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hid their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows what an amazing phrase to describe our Lord. There's a hymn that uh, even reveals uh, or 
alludes to the mystery of that man of sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came. But here Isaiah is saying that one of the ways we could describe Jesus is as a person of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. Somebody who did not minimize or run from the darkness, but faced it, carried it. Uh, in John's gospel, who is one of, the, one of the gospel writers that gives us then uh, a good window into the emotional life of our Lord, it's in John's gospel where he talks about Jesus coming to the, um, the grave of a friend of his in Lazarus. And in John chapter 11, verse 35, he, he tells us that Jesus wept. And it's one of those verses that you could just, you could delete out of the Bible and everything about the story would still make sense. Like it doesn't drive the narrative forward in any way except that for John, there's the desire to not just tell us what happened, but to reveal to us who is this person, uh, Jesus, and why it is that we should trust in him, that for John is to make clear to each and every one of us that Jesus wept. And there again, we might ask a variety of questions as to why did he weep in that moment? And there isn't a ton of commentary added to it. But it is, again, in seeing the example of our Savior, a man of sorrows weeping over someone that he loved, this recognition that there is an appropriateness to weeping, to grieving. And then if your Bible's still open, you can go to John chapter 12. So right after um, this experience with Lazarus, and he's already weeped, then risen Lazarus from the dead. Now he's entered into Jerusalem on the final week of his life. In John 12, verse 27, this is what we read of our Lord. John 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And we'll stop there. Uh, this phrase, and if you keep looking it up, and his soul being troubled is described of our Lord. That's what the psalmist said of himself. His bones were troubled and his soul was troubled. In seeing the darkness and seeing the wickedness and seeing the reality of the pain of death and disease in our world. So none of this reveals a weakness in our Savior. It magnifies his sense of love and compassion and care and concern for each and every one of us. And then as we go back to Psalm 6, we don't know exactly what it is, but there is a change that, uh, that you, you can see from verse 7 to verse 8. Um, verse 7 sort of gets to the end of saying my eyes are wasting away because of grief it grows 
weak because of all of my foes. And then depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled and shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. The contrast of 8 through 10 to 1 to 7 leads some people to say, like 1 through 7 must have been written at one time. And then the psalmist comes back at another time and writes 8 through 10. Because this despairing and weary expression of cry and need all of a sudden becomes this I know you've heard my prayer. The the sense of growing confidence that the future is uh, going to be bright for him. And I submit to you there's no reason to think that this is now written at a different time. What is again here being exhibited is just like we can grieve with hope, it's also possible to be worshiping through pain. We have the ability to to grieve with hope. We have the ability to face the darkness, but we also have the ability even before full and final and complete uh, restitution or healing takes place. We have the ability to, by faith, believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do, that he's not going to leave us in the valley forever. And we don't have to wait till we're out of the valley to also start saying that, to start acknowledging that. And sometimes that comes from previous experiences in our lives that remind us of that. Sometimes that comes through hearing the testimonies of other people. But we have reasons even before that full and final deliverance has come by faith to say, God, I believe I can worship you through the pain. And I can trust in you, which is, as you continue to read in John chapter 12, where Jesus uh, continues to go, his soul is greatly troubled. He acknowledges that, but he keeps on doing what he believes the Father has sent him to do. He, he, He prays before the Father, not my will, but your will be done. And you and I also, in the strength that he gives us, have the ability to continue trusting him and worshiping him, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we're not sure exactly how it's all going to work out. We can believe he's going to provide full and final and ultimate healing and restoration. We believe that the good news is better ultimately than the bad news is bad. But part of why we gather together in every season of life is also to say, as we sing uh, songs like, My Jesus, I Love Thee, um, if you're singing that song this morning and you have a sense of joy in the good things that you've experienced, there's going to be a time when you need that song in a very different season of your life because it just doesn't feel like Jesus loves you. Nothing about what you're going through is telling you that he loves you. And so sometimes it's remembering the words and the voices of those around you in those seasons because you sang them and learned them at different times that is what your soul and mine needs. That we need other people to carry us through and other people to pray for us, um, to come alongside us and to help us keep on 
trusting God in whatever season he's placed us in. And we can worship through this pain before it's even resolved. Because of just how great his love is for us. And where this um, psalm itself doesn't necessarily end, but I think the, 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 the thrust of scripture and the story of Jesus himself is that we will all remember his grace toward us. And so when we think about Isaiah 53 and that Jesus was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief, at one level, we are amazed that he was able to feel and experience so much of what we did. But there's also a maturity in Christian worship that acknowledges we have joy and freedom and worship because he was willing to do that for us. And so the, the hymn that we've been working through at home uh, this week each night has been how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And there's so much of that psalm that again, it's, it's as we were going through it because we're usually doing it at bedtime that even I myself as a parent was like, I'm not sure this is a good like going to bed song. Um, because it's sort of vividly remembering the darkness that he faced. And so when we say and sing out loud how the father turned his face away, that, that it was my sin that held him there, that when we look at the cross as Christians, we don't just look back at it and say, we feel really, really bad that somebody mistreated Jesus, though that's appropriate. But what we grieve in the cross is that our sins brought this sorrow upon him and this pain. And even in the future joy of heaven that he promises to us, he does not say he's going to erase then our sense of uh, remembrance of the things that we have done. And so there was one of his disciples in Thomas who was one of the people that was actually struggling to believe when everybody else was starting to believe he's actually risen from the dead that when Jesus came to him he said Thomas if you still doubt like look at my hands look at my side in other words see the wounds by which you have been redeemed and then it says in the book of Revelation that when we are eventually gathered around the throne that we will know and acknowledge the lamb who was slain. And so there are, not only are we able to worship through pain, but there is a depth and a maturity in our worship and a joy and a gratefulness that comes because of the pain that has been caused. Because we acknowledge just how terrible and awesome that was. And so we, we enter a different level, even of our relationship with God, when we can acknowledge our own culpability and guilt in the pain and the suffering of our Savior. That is not then meant to cause us to then constantly despair and be down and discouraged, 
but it helps us know his love at a much more profound and deeper level. That now hopefully helps us to go through life and say, I have been loved in such an amazing way in all the different challenges that I could experience now in life and all the different forms of rebuke and discipline and all the prolonged uh, suffering and challenges that I might go through. He's, he's strengthening me for all of that. I know he's not gonna leave me to ultimately be overwhelmed or consumed by it, but I believe he's going to bring me through. And I believe he's not telling me to run from it to ignore it, to exaggerate it, but to honestly and truthfully face it and to trust that he's going to give me what I need. And we all need that in the course of our uh, just daily life with ourselves, with our family, with our coworkers, to show enough maturity to the people around us to say, if you're going through something, I want to hear about it. I don't want to just pretend like it's all okay. And also when someone's weak and weary, to say, I I want to encourage you, as we opened with our call to worship, that we believe that what's been left for us in scriptures has been for our encouragement and our endurance. That we believe we we follow one who's faced the darkness that we couldn't face. The darkness that overwhelms us and defeats us, he faced it and he rose again for us. And so I want to encourage you in that. And I want to wrestle together with you, with God, uh, in all of the tension that that might create for us. The scripture does not give us an answer to every form of suffering that takes place doesn't tell us just how long at times we'll have to endure certain things but if one of the fruits of the spirit is to be long suffering it's probably one of the fruits that most of us don't raise our hand to say God I'd really love for you uh, to mature that fruit in me and that's okay you're allowed to admit that but there is also maturity that says God I know you promised you haven't promised to take away every hardship you haven't guaranteed me that everything's going to go great. And so, but therefore, God, I do want you to help me to face challenges with grace. I want you to help me face hardships with hope. I want you that in all the things I'm going through to help me become more compassionate over time, more patient with people who in all of the challenges that seem to be manifesting, I think they're just revealing a depth of pain that I don't know about. And so God, would you help me to bear that more with your help in my daily life? Let's all together pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminders that it gives us of how you've created us. That you have given us the gift of minds and bodies and souls. That you have uh, integrated them in such a way that they all affect, uh, each part affects all the others. And so, Father, I just want to acknowledge that as as I have shared that for me in in a current season in just the past week where 
I do sense that uh, mostly your kindness and uh, your grace and not rebuke or discipline and not prolonged challenge. I thank you for the gift of your word to, um, to remind me of my own frailty that any one of us can so quickly feel weak, that any one of us can begin to despair, that, that none of us are strong enough in ourselves uh, to be good or fine all the time. And Father, we thank you that you don't want us to pretend before you, that you don't want us to, uh, to act any better than we are, that we can be fully human before you and acknowledge uh, the pain uh, that we feel and the ways in which pain is affecting us. And Father, we do uh, call on you as our Lord. We want to bring all of our cares and our concerns upon you, believing that you care for us believing that you're the only one who can work out good and truth and beauty out of ashes, out of tears, out of sorrow. And so we thank you that you are bigger than our struggle, uh, that you are greater than our greatest challenge. And so we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us to have uh, the kind of faith that pleases you and serves others well in this weary world. In Jesus' name we pray.